Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. We do. We believe so much in the goodness of God, even in the challenges that we have faced. We're in a section of Peter's letter to the early church that was undergoing a period of turmoil and stress in their everyday lives. And as we've said it over and over as we've looked at this letter, uh, we're not suffering necessarily in persecution, but there are many that are suffering under grief, loneliness, stress, pressure, financial issues. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be beginning in verse 8, but I want to know what we're going to be doing is jumping from chapter 3 to chapter 4 as we combine similar thoughts that Peter has to people like us that are living out our lives under some unique challenges. And that's what I'd like to look at. You'll see that where we are in the letter is Peter has been addressing this series of thoughts that lead us together in the challenges we face by faith. I also want to encourage you, if you haven't been opening yourselves up to it, uh, Jim Dalrymple, who's a professor at Ozark Christian College and a member of our congregation, is teaching a Bible study through 1 Peter's letter. You can get this through our podcast, or you can go to the Facebook page, or you can go to our YouTube channel. All three of those would provide this weekly Bible study where Jim is going a little bit deeper than time allows us to do on a Sunday or a Thursday when we gather together and we worship together. So we want to encourage you to take advantage of that. I know I have, and it's been encouraged to me as I go deeper in looking at what Peter is saying to all of us. Peter is trying to teach us how do we execute intentionally the hope we have. How do we live in a hope that's not just for a one day going to heaven, but for an everyday living this out in the here and now? What we've been talking about is who we are in Christ. We began by talking about our living hope in Jesus. We talked about holiness and how we pursue being set apart in holiness for something greater. We talked about the opportunities that we've been given by the way Jesus has seized us and how he calls us by name and invites us in to this building, this living stone being built on the cornerstone. You see, it's not just about us. It's always about him. This is where our hope is founded. We talked about what opportunities we have in front of us as priests and aliens living in a world that's just different than we were created for. And how Peter has called us to live out the goodness of this life in serving others. You see, it's not just about us. It's often about unbelievers. And how does our hope translate to them? And then we've been talking the past few weeks about how to live this out. How do Christians live out their citizenship? How do they live out being servants? And then last week, Peter Buckland talked to us about how do we live out our hope in Christian relationship? Especially in covenantal relationships like marriage. It's not just limited to that, but it includes that. How do we hold on to these things that companionship and courage and intimacy and honor? How do we live this out? You see, if you go all the way back to chapter two, verses 12 and 13, we're told to submit yourselves for the sake of the Lord. And so when we live this out, we experience this hope I want each one of us to be focusing ourselves on what are we really holding on to right now? Because some of the things that we've held on to the past have been stripped out of our arms and some we have gently laid down. But it does not matter because the goodness of the message is God is still on his throne. Sovereign God rules and Jesus Christ is the proof of it. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're reminded of this. And that's what I'd like us to be able to do as we worship together now. 
is whether you're sitting by yourself on your couch or in your family room or you're sitting at your kitchen table with your laptop or phone. It doesn't matter whether you're gathered with a a group of people that have been worshiping together. We encourage you. Let's look at our hope and what challenges our hope and how do we turn those challenges into a good thing? You see, Peter is calling us to be a kind of people. He's not just calling us to do a list of things. We're to be a people that are together and unified and held together, even in the face of challenges. You see, we have a chosen hopefulness. It's a choice that we get to make in how we execute our hope and our faith every day. Look with me at verse eight, 1 Peter chapter three. Finally, oh, I could pause on every word and make a lot of it, but I really wanna do this. Finally, Peter is heading toward the home stretch. He's wrapping up all of these thoughts together in practical application. He says, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. These attitudes that come from choices, each one of these is a choice you and I get to make into how we're going to live our lives in our home, as we talked about last week, or at our places of work, or in our neighborhoods, or even when we come across people who are living their lives out loud and largely in the public sphere. You see, these attitudes are choices we get to make that Jesus would have us as he builds our character. You see, what I want to say in today, it's ramping up, isn't it? We're already feeling it. There are people stepping into their rights and they, they can, and sometimes they should. But remember the character that Jesus is building in every single one of us is not about what my individual rights are, but what's right for everybody what's good for everybody and what he calls us to do here. Peter is actually calling us to live out the life that Jesus taught him to live. Things like unified around something bigger than just me, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, living out a life of humility rather than a life of demand. You see, it'd be easy to say, well, as soon as we can all be back together, whether it's at church or at work or at the mall or wherever we want to go, that when we all come back together, I'm going to live differently. And I want to challenge you not to wait until that moment, but begin to live that out now. It's more needed now than it's ever been before. People are dividing. They're dividing over who wants to do this the way I want to do it and who's being fearful and who's being foolish and who's being faithful. And at the end of the day, I want to ask us to think about who's being for Jesus and for what he would have us to live like in such a way that we would be a blessing to others and not just a blessing to ourselves. You see, harmony is displayed in sympathy, in love, compassion, and humility. It's lived out the way Jesus lived his life. And so there are some choices we make in our hopefulness. And I hope we'll choose these things. And then Peter now addresses some more difficult things we face. Not only the internal battle with our own desires, but a difficult hopelessness or hopefulness rather. In verse nine, he says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. This is an interesting passage. The New English Bible translates it in a way that I love. It says, do not repay wrong with wrong or abuse with abuse. Instead, retaliate with blessing. I like that a lot because it's really what we've been called to do. And the reason I'm calling it a difficult hopefulness is because it would take a hope greater than my ability to control the attitudes and actions of people around me. It's gonna be trusting that Jesus is working 
his perfect power and his perfect will, even in imperfect circumstances. Think about it, how we've been called to be a blessing. And I, and I want you to see that he's, it's not saying that we may inherit a blessing as if our behavior produces what God gives us. No, it's actually saying that we live out the inheritance we're receiving from Jesus Christ, even when it's unappreciated and disrespected all around us. And nothing can take it from us. Nothing can separate us from this love that Jesus Christ has shown to us through the cross. And so we live powerfully because of it, even in difficult circumstances. When Jesus was beaten and he was tried and unjustly convicted, he did not argue. He did not stake his rights. He simply chose to be the blessing of the inheritance that was promised to him in his faithfulness. And so we will too. We have been called to be holy. We've been called to be priests. We've been called to be examples. And Peter says we've been called to be a blessing. A blessing to those who don't bless. A blessing to those who don't want blessed. And a blessing to those who desire so much to be blessed by someone's love and care for them. It's the way of the cross. That we will give up the things of the world to offer not only our own souls, but the souls of others. What Jesus has promised us. It's not just ours to receive. There's more than enough for everybody. So stepping across the street to your neighbor or to that person who gives you the stink eye in the middle of the mall or at the the restaurant or at the gas station because you're not doing it their way. We are here to go beyond and to be a blessing and encouragement. And I'm just begging us. I know so many of us are trying our very best, but I'm begging us, don't grow weary and quit. Continue to live out the inherited promise of Jesus' spirit guiding each one of us to be a joy-filled blessing to offering people something greater than they've ever imagined. So it's, it's a chosen hopefulness. It's a difficult hopefulness. It's a rewarded hopefulness. Verses 10 through 12. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter is actually quoting Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16. He's using this passage to point out to us that there is a deeper life, abundant life that we're promised in John chapter 10. This abundant life that Jesus came to give us is available to those who will choose to live their life based on their hope, not on their circumstances. Based on the promise rather than just the reality. It's living this out fully, that we will learn to love life and see good days and live this abundant existence and turn away from evil because evil has no place in this life that our hearts are longing for, that our neighbors are longing for, and even our enemies deep down inside are longing for. It's the kind of life which pleases God and goes all the way back to the beginning where we are built on the foundation, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ as living stones being built to his glory and his honor. And in his glory and honor, we find our purpose, we find our passion, we find our place. See, remember, Peter is calling us to be a kind of people, not to, do, not to just do a list of things, a list of actions. It's chosen, it's difficult, it's rewarded. And here's really where I wanna land. It's a suffering hopefulness. And this is the make or break point for many of us 
is that we want to follow Jesus because we want things to be better, but sometimes things don't get better when you follow Jesus. Sometimes they actually get harder, and believe it or not, sometimes that is God's will for us. Let's read verses 17 and 18. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Sometimes it's God's will that we suffer for doing good, for doing what is right, to demonstrate a hope that transcends happiness. I want to say that again, because I want to embed in our hearts and minds where we're going in not only chapter three, but in chapter four, that God is simply saying, this is not the way I want it, but I'm going to use those things that were intended, as we've just sung, that were intended for evil. I'm going to turn them into good. I am going to make something powerful out of the powerless. So he does. See, sometimes it's God's will for us to suffer for doing what is right, to demonstrate a hope that goes beyond our happiness. God will take even our sacrifices and suffering and redeem them for greater things. And Peter says, if it is God's will, which means sometimes it is. And he says, for Christ suffered for sins once and for all. And that's a beautiful promise. Lasting delivery is not found in our behavior. It's found in Jesus' actions, his goodness, and his willful sacrifice for us. And Peter flips that. A man who ran away from Jesus in his distress is now turning that and saying, and if we choose to suffer in the same way that Jesus did, what might God do with that for the generation in which we live? And you think about the people you know who have paid a great price to follow Jesus, and yet none of them would regret it. Chapter four, verse one. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with this same attitude. The point is, get ready. Should it be God's will as his followers for him to allow us to suffer for the sake of showing that there's more to life than happiness and comfort and contentment? There is something greater that goes deeper that we could never transcend into on our own, but through our suffering, we have all of these things purged away from us to realize that God is faithful. Jesus suffered having done nothing wrong, but for our sake, accomplishing God's will And how might God even use moments where we suffer for doing what is right so that the message and the hope of Jesus can actually be seen and not just heard? We're being challenged. It's easier to preach this than it is to live it. But remember that the suffering we go through, never for a moment by the lie that if we suffer, God is punishing us. Not all suffering is punishment. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter eight. Suffering is no sign that God has forsaken us. It is a sign that the temporary things of the world have. I'm going to jump over verses 19 to 22 in this famous passage about Noah's Ark and come to that at the conclusion of my, my time with you today. And, and I hope you'll understand what Peter is doing when he's talking about how God delivers in ways that sometimes we would never have wanted. But God always delivers. You see, in the midst of our suffering, allowing the presence of God And his will to be ours is where our hope is most demonstrated. It's through those choices we make, through the difficulties, even in the rewards of blessings and good days and long lives and knowing the strength of God. It's in the greatest moments when the world looks at us and says, you have every reason no longer to trust in God that the church has most stood and been heard. It's not when it has projected its rights 
But when it has lived out its hope, that the world is looking for an example of somebody who's willing to die for something that doesn't just pay them back. That's where our hope lies. Jump with me, if you would, to chapter four. When Peter again brings up this issue of how we suffer, beginning in verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you can bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Wow, there is so much in there. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not going to say too much about it. Here's why. Because it's, it's consistently Peter's message towards suffering. Look to Jesus. Look at how he handled moments when God could have rescued and chose not to, but then did. When he had reason to wonder, but even in his wondering, he leaned into his faith and he trusted in those silent moments. He trusted in those scary moments. He trusted in those desperate moments. He even cried out and said, is there any other way? And God's answer was, this will be the way. And Jesus said, thy will be done, not mine. It's in the suffering where it is not easy, where it is frightening, where we feel alone, that our faith and our hope is most displayed. Trusting when trust sometimes doesn't make sense, except we know who God is. Peter is telling us that these circumstances will not last forever. I love that passage where he says that we will praise God that we were able to bear the name and we will rejoice when we see his glory return. All of this comes together brilliantly. See, Peter is telling us that, he's not telling us rather, don't grieve. He's, he's not saying to us that you had nothing to worry about. What he is telling us is choose to rely on your hope to see that what Jesus Christ did on the cross was a great suffering to produce life. And you and I find life sometimes in the suffering. Verse 19, so then, Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. You see, there's a great challenge when we read that verse 19. The challenge is, no, if God's not gonna be good to me, then I'm not gonna respond. If if it doesn't work out the way I want it, then I'm done. I'm gonna stop praying. I'm gonna stop going to the congregation that I worship with. I'm gonna stop seeking voices to call me greater. I'm gonna not choose to be a disciple anymore. And that's how the world tells us we should react. But Peter says, no, no, remember whom you're following and pursue him in the midst of your circumstances because your circumstances change all the time, but God never changes. He can be trusted. I read something several years ago and it allowed me to become a bit poetic. It's not, it doesn't rhyme. Here's my shot. This is how I think we're called in the midst of confusion in the midst of challenges, 
You see, those who live without faith say, I cannot hear God's voice. But through faith, you and I know a God who hears ours. Those who live without faith say, I cannot see God. But through faith, you and I know that our God sees the sparrow. Our God sees the honeysuckle bush. Our God sees the tiniest of insects. God knows every hair on our head. He knows our name. He's known us from the moment we were conceived. We know he sees us even when we can't see him. Those who live without faith say, I cannot touch God. But those of us who live by faith, we know that God speaks through our hearts to love others. And by loving others, we speak for God. Those who live without faith say, I cannot understand God. But those through faith, those of us who live by our faith, we know that God's peace covers and soothes our, our, our mind with understanding and contentment and peace. A peace that Paul says makes no sense, but it's real. Those who live without faith say, I cannot reach God. But through faith, you and I know that God reached us in Jesus that he came here and that the Holy Spirit is real, alive, speaking, touching, and guiding each one of us who walk by faith. The world's doubts and claims challenge me to suggest that all that I think I know by faith and hope is not real, but through faith, I know the world can never keep the truth of God's presence through Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection from me. I know that if death could not stop Jesus, this world cannot cause me to suffer enough to stop Jesus either. He is faithful. He is good. Oh, and I know that each and every week since we've had to go to online church, that this is one of those transitions where when the speaker says, now if you get the elements ready and then instantly we change our minds, don't change the channel yet. Because what I'm about to share with you comes right from Peter's text. It's a beautiful imagery of a, a moment of truth that happened in the Old Testament that teaches us something. And I think it'll teach us about the table that Jesus has set for us. A table that had wine and bread in front of him. You see, Peter uses Noah's Ark, interestingly enough, as an example in his teaching on how we should find our hope in Jesus and not in our own ability to rescue. So we have the story of Noah in the Old Testament. You can find it right here in Peter's writings in verses 19 through 22. God told Noah to build a boat in a region that got less than 10 inches of rain every year. He builds this boat. It has to be big enough to not only take on his family, but samplings of all the animals who walk on the earth and who need air to breathe. And he builds this ark. And God gave him all the specifications. You see, God gave him direction on what he needed to do to be saved. And Noah did what the Lord asked him to do. And Noah responded because of the grace of God. And he built this boat at great effort at great labor, at great cost. I've read speculation that it may have been hundreds of years to put this all together. And he built this ark and God called the animals into the ark. And when the door was closed and, and the rains came and the earth released its reserves of water, the earth flooded. And all those who heeded God's voice were spared. And those who did not heed God's voice and did not place their hope in God's faithfulness were drowned and they were lost. 
And yet Noah's family was delivered because they trusted in God in horrible circumstances that they never would have dreamed of or asked for, probably didn't even want them. But the wickedness of the world caused that the justice of God had to be answered for. Now we know that Noah's Ark is an example of imagery from the Old Testament that teaches us about how God's words are true. God's ways are faithful and he will save those who trust him. So we gather around this piece of bread and this juice and we gather around it each and every week as a reminder that it was through these things that we were saved, that we were rescued from the flood of God's wrath and God's just justice, that we were rescued. Now, by eating this bread and drinking this cup, you and I in no way are saved by performing these actions. But the sweetness of the drink and the depth of the bread, the bread of life, are a reminder of God's faithfulness, God's truth, and how we can trust him. So whether you're taking this at home alone or you're gathered with others and able to do that, I encourage you, know that throughout the world, Millions and millions of people are gathered around these elements. This is our deliverance. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is our proclamation. Trust Jesus in any circumstance. Choose to, even if it's difficult, knowing that he has promised he will reward it. And even in the face of suffering, we live out this life for him. We will take and eat today as privileged people being provided safety from the wrath of God through the blood of Jesus Christ who loved us enough to die for us. All praise, glory, and honor goes to the name of our King Jesus. He's worth trusting. Pray with me, please. Jesus, we receive you in this bread and juice. These symbols remind us of your deliverance. These symbols remind us of your love. These symbols remind us of your power. These symbols are our privilege because they're just another sign of the way in which you delivered us from death to life so that even in the worst of suffering for the cause of the kingdom, Jesus, you will be faithful. You will be our strength. You will be our hope. Father, we choose you. We are rewarded by you. And in the face of difficulty and suffering, we will bow a knee before you and proclaim to the world that our hope is built on Jesus Christ, our deliverer, our salvation. Father, we thank you and we praise you as we eat and drink today. In the name of our King Jesus, our Savior, amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.